by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. September is uh, I Love My Church Month. So we're going to be, st- we're still talking about our church and how much we love our church. It's not something we sit around and, and do all, all throughout the year. We love our church because Jesus loves the church. So uh, we're in the fourth part. Today's message is entitled, Together We're Better. Uh, Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll start in verse 24. It says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love, and good works. Seems like that's what I sit around thinking about all the time, how to motivate people to acts of love and good works. Do you ever do that? It says, let us not neglect our meeting together. Say, don't neglect the meeting together. Come on, help me out today. Don't neglect our meeting together. Because it says, as some people do. Some people don't come to church. But it says, encourage one another, especially now, is that you see the day of his return drawing near. Now, which one of you have never seen the TV before? (laughs) Because I think the rest of us can pretty much agree that something's going on, and it looks like Jesus may come back at any moment, especially those who study uh, uh, prophecy in the Scriptures and so forth. We can tell, man, this thing is wrapping up rapidly. So for me to not neglect the meeting of ourselves together, for me to want to be in the church at this final hour in the fourth quarter of of the football game, that's not a hard thing for me. And plus, I love my church. It's I love my church month, but I love my church every day of the year because the church is what Jesus is doing. And Jesus sets us all in the church where he thinks that we we should be. Uh, my, My boy, he's 15 years old now. He's, he's over there ducking. His name is Joshua. He's got a Georgia shirt on. I don't know what's going on in the house today. <clears throat> yes, yes, they did. He was at the game, and he still wore his Georgia shirt today. But when he was six years old one time, I just remember this one day in particular. Uh, he got up real early to go to church with me. This was before I was a pastor, but, you know, it, for many years I've been getting here, you know, an hour or two early to set up the, the music equipment or cut on the board or do something. And he got up early with me like he did a lot of times. And he jumped in the truck, and I just asked him that day, I said, Josh, why do you get up so early to go to church with me in the mornings when you could sleep in a little bit later and barely sneak under the wire like your mom, with your mama? <laughs> and he said, Mama and Sissy, too loud. And... I thought, I said, well, that doesn't require any further explanation. So we got to church, and uh, I went to doing my thing, and he went to doing his thing. Now, he has a thing around here. I don't know what he does, but Tom calls him, Tom in the back there, he calls him Picklocker. 
because he can pick any lock in the church. You see, he can go, there, there's no lock in the church that's going to stop Josh from going where he wants to go. See, he, he was raised up in this church. This is all he knows. He, he spent most of his life in this church. It was funny, Chad was uh, calling him Fog Boy a while ago. That's another nickname because he used to help us with the band so much. At, when we was first starting a long time ago, we had a fog machine, you know, before the, the service. I'm not the service, but the, when we go do a concert somewhere, we'd had fog. And one time, the boy got a hold of the button. He was running the fog machine, and they called, <laughs> didn't they call the fire department? Set off the alarm. And, I mean, he, so he got the nickname Fog Boy, too. Pick locker and fog boy, whatever you want to call him, he's, he's grown up in the church, so to speak. Anyway, he was doing his thing, I was doing mine, and then I had to do my thing, so I was in the restroom, and I was in one of the stalls, and, uh, and I heard somebody come in, I heard those little feet, and I said, that's probably Josh. I said, Josh, is that you? And he says, I knew that was you, Daddy. And I said, how did you know? He said, because I saw your big old feet. <laughs> then he said, if you walk like Frankenstein, you'd kick yourself in the face, Daddy. <laughs> I didn't know what that meant, but it sounded funny, so I laughed. So he, he runs out of the bathroom tells all the band about it, and they all get a big laugh, you know. Anyway, we had church that day like normal and got out around noon or whatever, and we were planning on going to the nursing home that day. And so Josh said, can I go? And I said, boy, ain't you tired yet? You got up early with me. You know, you're only six years old. Won't you? you can go home with Mama. And he just looked at me. Like I, my neck bolt, my Franken neck bolt had wiggled loose or something. He just looked at me like, that's not even a question, Daddy. He's like, he started questioning me. What are we going to bring? What kind of equipment are we going to bring? Are we bringing the big show? Are we bringing the lot of equipment? Because he wanted, he likes carrying the equipment in and showing he's got muscles. You know, he's six years old. He's trying to prove his worth. And sure enough, we get to the nursing home and he carry, he's rolling everything in. You know, as we got older, we learned the value of wheels. And so... <laughs> He's rolling everything in, helps set up, and then as soon as he gets through says, setting up like normal, he goes, Daddy, can I have some money for the machine? You know, the machine was the big thing at the nursing home for him. So I give him a dollar, and he comes back with a big old bag of Funyuns. And so we tune our guitars, and we're about to, to start, and I sit down getting ready to start to play, and I look up, and he's got a candy bar of mysterious origins. And I started asking, where'd you get that? But it was already time to start, so I just went ahead and started playing. And we, we played several songs, and he went on his way. He had to run to the nursing home, too. I don't know where he went during the while we were playing. <laughs> but he had been there enough to, he was probably called Picklocker there, too. I don't know. But he went and did his thing. And I didn't see him again until we were about to do this slow, worshipful song where, from which I had determined I was going to launch into an altar call for salvation. So it was a quiet moment, you know, trying to set the mood for people to receive Jesus. And that's when, from across the hall, we hear a ping, 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 on the out-of-tune piano. I look up, and Josh is just banging on this piano. And I was trying to wave at him indiscreetly, but there was, everybody was already turned around looking and laughing and stuff. And so finally, I just yelled in the microphone, Josh, would you stop? And man, you never seen such attitude in your life. It was like, Jerry Lee Lewis hawking some new ego-enhancing drug or something. He went. <laughs> like he was supposed to be jamming over there, you know. And so he quit, and we played the song, gave the altar call. Three people came to the Lord. I said, the boy's anointed, you know. <laughs> and we were about to play our last song, and I look up, 
And he's sitting at a table out in front of us this time. And I don't know where he got it, but he had some of them nabs and peanut butter cracker things. He had three packages and had them all open. And he was putting them around on the dirty table, moving them around like uh, chess pieces or something. He had two or three in his mouth at the time. And, and I was disgusted. And I, and I couldn't help it. I said, boy, where did you get those crackers? And he started to say, and he, and he spit out enough crackers, you know, to, to choke a limb grinder or something. And uh, one of the ladies finally spoke up and said, we're we taking care of that boy. Don't you worry about him. We're taking good care of him. And I said, I see. And I tell you all this, why? I don't know. Well, I do know, but I'm not going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you later. <laughs> That's the way I often do, leave you in suspense, you know, hanging there. But let's get back to our message. Say, don't neglect the meeting of yourselves together. It's important. It's important. Too many say, you know, I don't need to be in a church to be a Christian. You've probably heard that. Maybe you've said that. But that's like a pilot saying, I don't need to be in an airplane to fly. You're not going to get off the ground if you're not in the airplane. And a Christian needs a church to soar. A lot of people say, well, I, I, can, I can get my Bible, my own Bible study. I can get everything I need at home. I can watch some on TV. You know, I, I have my own quiet time with the Lord. And all that's good. But let me ask you, when did your Christianity just become all about you getting something? Have you ever thought about that? Because Christianity is about sharing the love of Jesus and using your gifts and abilities to help others. It's not just about what you can get. If you're not plugged up with the church, you're not giving your supply more than likely and Quite honestly, everybody I've ever seen that's not plugged up with a church and calls themselves a Christian is kind of flaky. And I've been around a while. So, I want to say to these people, do you not love what Jesus loves? Because Jesus loves the church. He said, I will build my church. It's what Jesus is doing on the earth. I know it's not vogue to say these days. You're not going to find it on a lot of Christian blogs, even even Christian blogs, that are saying that the church is important. Most, a lot of people are just agreeing with the world that the church is not important. But I can tell you, that's not coming from God. Jesus loves the church. That's what he's doing on the earth. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It is what he's doing. It is the channel he has decided to use. He loves the church so much that in Revelation chapter 9, I think verse 7, he says he calls the church his bride, his wife. You know, we're his spouse to the Lord, and there's going to be a great marriage feast in heaven when we get there. We're his fiance, the church. So you're telling me that you don't really care about what Jesus is doing here on the earth, and you can't stand his wife. <laughs> and, but, but your relationship with Jesus is just fine. Doesn't make much sense, does it, when you think about it logically? Don't buy into the lie that the church is not important. I know, I know, I know you've been to a church, and it hurt your feelings. They didn't have a good pastor, and he hurt you, or this, or... I know, and it's, not, it's serious. I'm not making light of that at all. I'm sorry. But it's not representative of every church. For the most part, the church does great good in the world. There are some churches that are just selfish little... Uh, country clubs for the members only kind of attitude. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the church that Jesus is building. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because, you know, some people are knuckleheads. You know, Jesus went to church. 
What are you saying? Jesus didn't go to church. Was he a Methodist? No, we didn't. No. <laughs> Where did Jesus go to church? I want to go to that church. Well, I'll show you. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 says, He went to Nazareth, where he was brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. That's on your sheet if you're filling out the blanks on that thing. It was his custom. When he went back to his hometown, he went to the church where it was his custom. And you know what? He stood up to read there. Must have been his custom. He was, he was working in the church. He was getting involved in what the church was doing. Pretty interesting, huh? Listen, we as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need each other's friendship. We need each other's fellowship. We need, I need some of your wisdom sometimes. You need to help guide me. You need to, help, you need to put a smile on my face when I'm feeling down, and I'll try to do the same for you. We need to help pull each other along. We need your gifts and your abilities. And most importantly, I think, one of the most important things we need is your faithfulness. Faithfulness is sorely lacking in today's society. We're not teaching it to our kids. You, you older people know that there was a time when you were expected to be faithful. But nowadays you see that faithfulness is hard to come by. But faithfulness is still the backbone in which God uses to get things accomplished in the earth. I would not be the pastor of this church had I not, if, if I was unfaithful and spotty in my attendance and so forth. I got saved in this church. I got baptized in this church 18 or 19 years ago. And I have given my heart to this church. And I didn't know I was going to, that was the farthest thing from my mind, thinking I would ever be a pastor. But somewhere along the line, I was faithful to the children's church to teach it 10 years. I was faithful in the youth for five years. And then all of a sudden, I'm the pastor. I don't know how the things work, but God counts faith. You know, we wouldn't have a church. You would not be here today if it weren't for some people sitting around you, faithful members of this church who has stuck it out through thick and thin. And yeah, there's some thick in the church. And there's some thin in the church. And there's good times and there's bad times. And it's doing life together. And, and it's not all perfect. It's not, not all rainbows and butterflies like Rocky says. Life comes at you fast, you know. You didn't know I was going to throw that in. I always got to throw in a Rocky. But it's true. Some people have stuck it out even when they, there was a time I didn't want to be here. Yes. We had to pray about it. God, I'll just soon go, you know, start over somewhere. Things is wackadoo, you know. But you stay because God helps you change the wackadoo. You stay because God's using your influence to help change things that are wrong. And if everybody heads for the hills, we can just keep church hopping until Jesus comes back and then nobody's planted by the living water. And nobody's doing the things of the kingdom. Just a thought. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Many claim to have unfailing love. There's a lot of, lot of people that talk that good Christian game. But it says, but a faithful person, who can find? Sounds like they're hard to come by. But we've got a faithful person that's going to share with you today. Somebody who has started coming to this church. We've had testimonies all month. Somebody who started coming to this church. And I tell you, once she came through the doors, you can count on it. When that door is open, she's coming through it. And, it, and I can just say from a pastor's perspective, I am glad for people like that. They, they warm my heart. Because some, some Wednesdays or something, I'm looking out the window. Is anybody coming, you know? But I know 
Miss Dorinda Patilio is going to be here. Y'all give her a big warm welcome. Hi, I'm Dorinda Patello. When Pastor Guy asked me how I felt about giving a short testimony, I thought, oh no, what will I say? But after I thought about it, I was honored because I knew God told him to do it. I was raised in several churches, but I never had a relationship with God until now. In October of 2013, I landed myself in the DeSoto County Jail, and I went to the church services, and it was Miss Becky White. She is who inspired me to get back into church. I've known Angie and Guy since the 90s, and all through 2014, I was seeing on Facebook about the different things he was going to be talking about, and I'd say, well, i got to get down there and hear that. But I was always too busy to come. In January of 2015, I started coming, and I have loved every minute of being a part of something so real and special. I had no way of knowing Miss Becky would be here, but God sure did. Before I would stay at home and I'd be so depressed I couldn't understand why I had the daughter I waited my whole life for and I still wasn't happy. But now I'm more like ecstatic. I have a peace and a joy that nobody can touch. No matter what happens, I know in my heart everything is going to be okay. I have faith and I'm not scared of anything going wrong. I trust in God enough to get married for the first time in my whole life. And... The first time I put $20 in the offering, it came back to me tenfold. My daughter can't wait to come to church. Uh, and she's really come out of her shell. If anybody knew her when we first started coming, she hid behind my leg. And this church is everything it says in the message and more. And I just love it and I love everybody. God, this is the most people that's ever been here. Thank you. If you didn't know, we're a fun-loving church, as you see over there on our mission statement. We love to have fun. But you see over there, we're also genuine. We don't compromise the Word of God. We try to be relevant, but we try to stay true to the Word of God. So where was I at? Okay, everything Jesus does is in the context of the church, pretty much. That's the way he sees what he's doing here on the earth. All the letters in the New Testament are either written to the church or written to somebody in the church. God is always building a people. In the Old Testament, he was building the nation of Israel, right? He was showing us through Israel uh, what to do and what not to do. He gave the law through the Old, people, uh, Old Testament people of Israel. And today, what he's doing, he's still building a people. He's building the church. That's, his, that's Christians. And we're all, if you've been here through the last three weeks, it's, we're all a brick in the house of God. We all play a part. And, and gathering together is what we're called to do. Uh, my pastor, Pastor Vickers, and the lead pastor, uh, or the senior pastor of this campus uh, from Montgomery, Alabama, he said this. He says, God's purpose for man is that we walk together in unity. And that we work together in harmony for something greater than we are as individuals. Only in this setting do we find real fulfillment in life. It's only coming together. 
that we find who we really are. Snicker says, you're not yourself when you're hungry. <laughs> and God says, you're not yourself when you're alone. Even as a Christian, you find yourself in the setting of community. Way back in Genesis 2.18, God told us that it's not good for man to be alone. And that's why he gave us Eve, right? This is on your sheet if you're taking notes. Isolation rarely produces anything good in our lives. Isolation. It's not good. It's one of the most common characteristics of people who commit terrible atrocities. You hear the people, they were a loner. Because when you get alone, you get wackadoo. <laughs> they keep using that West, the new word for the day. You get wackadoo. Your mind just, we need each other to form credible thoughts, to keep us from, you know, going off the deep end. Jesus was hardly ever alone. When he was, he wasn't alone because he was praying with the Father. He was with the Father. He went alone to get with the Father. Now, sometimes you're going to be alone. You may go on a sabbatical or something. You may go do something on your own, and that's fine. But if you're living a lifestyle where you're alone all the time, that's not good. It's not what God intended. He gave us a community that he wants us to be a part of, and it's called the church. Spiritual growth best happens together. Worship best happens together. Isn't that right? Jesus said the Father seeks for those who will worship him in spirit and truth. Not a person, but those. That's a plural. He seeks those that will worship him in spirit and truth. Matthew 18, 19 says, If any two on earth agree as touching anything, no, that's, that's the power of agreement. What is a, a Matthew 18, 20 says, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. He likes to be in a crowd. Now, some of you don't like big crowds or something. I understand that. I'm not saying that. But, you know, don't, don't let yourself be alone. You don't have to be. If you're lonely, you don't have to be. God has made a way of escape. <coughs> Together, his presence in us you know, you, you are, the, you are the, spirit, the temple of the living God. You have his presence if you've asked Jesus into your heart. T together, his spirit in us is magnified. There's something about believers coming together that just changes the atmosphere. If, any, if just two of us come together, there he is. So don't think that you can just miss and it'll be okay because your absence from church always leaves a gap. It, it just leaves, it leaves you, think about it. If you were a football team and you showed up on Sunday to play and you only got eight players, uh, the rest decided to sleep in today. You're not going to be a very good football team, are you? See, we're a body and God puts us in the body where he sees fit. Maybe you're a thumb, maybe you're an eye, maybe you're an ear, a knee or something. And, and it, well, maybe we could get by without an ear. Maybe we could get by without a knee, but if you keep taking parts away, we're never going to be who God called us to be if we just show up when we show up. Remember faithfulness. Where did faithfulness go? What, how would your job operate if people just showed up when they wanted to? And see, we try to run God's house with these a whole new set of rules, and that's not the way God intends it. When we join together, we use our gifts, our talents, and abilities to come together and we can field an undefeatable team. 
The gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what he's, he's saying. Together you'll be strong enough that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And people want to join a winning team. You know, if, if you came in here this morning and, and only two seats were filled, you'd be thinking, I got to go. I'm not coming in this church. Something ain't right here. Anything that's living is growing. Your hair's growing. Your nails. I mean, if you're alive, if it's not, then there's something stunting that growth. There's something coming against the life that naturally produces growth in you. Anything not growing could be considered dead. Right? And usually it, when, if it's not growing, it'll fall off <laughs> or something, you know. But a team who enjoys playing together, working together, we can make a huge difference in our community and in our world. You know, this church, we talked about going to the, to the nursing home. Did we talk about it in here or the meeting before? I don't know if we talked about it in here. Anyway, we go to the nursing home. We reach out to the elderly. We go to youth villages. We were supposed to go yesterday. We got canceled. I was hoping to give a good report. But uh, we got canceled. But we go once a month to youth villages where we reach out to troubled youth. We go, where do we go? We go door to door, just reaching people in general. We go uh, to the jail, and we reach struggling adults who are not maybe at the best place in their life. Did you mention that already? I didn't want to be the one. But, <laughs> but last, just last Sunday at the jail, we go every Sunday night, have two services. Just last Sunday, 14 salvations, 14 people came to Jesus. The weekend before that, it was 16, I think. And there's been as many as 30 or 40 or more, you know. And back in the day when they used to let them all come at once, we'd have 50 and 60 sometimes. So just, we go where God says go, wherever it is. Now, you might say, well, if y'all got that many salvations going out of the church, how come y'all are not in a huge auditorium? Well, sadly, most of the places we minister... <laughs> They're captive audiences, yeah. <laughs> but some of them come, come here when they get out. But we're going to O'Brien Park, uh, Saturday, October. All right. Saturday, October 8th. Uh, that's in Memphis. It's a, a poor neighborhood that needs some love and attention. And God put his finger on it and said, that's where you go. I, and I understand some of you members, y'all want to do something locally in our neighborhood. And I completely understand that I'm getting a little pushback from going to O'Brien again. I understand that. I want to do something locally so bad I can taste it. I have gone on Saturdays to every park in this DeSoto County just about, and I have prayed over them, and I have looked for gatherings of people where when we go, we don't just flop, and people don't go to parks <coughs> here in DeSoto County for some reason. I don't know, but, but if you have some ideas, let me know. We want to minister around here, but hadn't had the opportunity yet. But in the meantime... If God says go back to O'Brien, I'm sorry. We just got to go back to O'Brien. I'm sorry. But you remember after O'Brien last time, the testimonies. It touched you as much as it touched them. And so we'll be going back to O'Brien. And we'll be looking for somewhere around here. We're still, we, we want to do everything that God says do. And I think it might be a test from God just to see how faithful we can be to do something that, you know, does not strategic for the church at all. You know, we're not, but we want to bring disciples in and everything. It's not strategic for us, but God says go. And so we go. And we get this in prayer. It's not just me. It's not just Tom. It's coming from others who are getting it in prayer. 
And we believe it is what God's called us to do, so we will continue to do it. And uh, we'll see the fruit of our labors together. And that's the way God likes it. Look around you. Look at the people next to you. Say, y'all sure are good looking. Good looking. You know what? There's, there's exciting news stories like the baptisms today, the recent salvations. There's people who uh, got saved several months ago. There's people who's been here for years and years. But every story is a life changed. Generational curses being broken. New direction for entire families. Life being infused into, into places that's been dark for maybe generations before. And people are coming out of darkness. So this is what the church does. It's so vital and so important that when we come together, we can see that we make a difference. And this is on your sheet. There's no limit. There's no limit to what we can do in the future together. The only limit we put on ourselves. I tell people all the time, don't say you go to Pastor Guy's church or I go to that church over across from Hooters. Say, I go to my church. This is your church. This is your church. When you begin to see it as your church, you begin to think, well, I have some say here. Maybe I, I can use my gifts and abilities, and maybe we can make a difference. When you're just waiting on somebody else to come up with all the ideas and to do all the work, you don't have any buy-in. But a family works together, and there's no limit to what we can do if we'll, we'll all take a piece of this. And run with it. Now, before we close, I want to give you a warning. Sincere warning. Be careful about a slow fade. What do I mean? A slow fade. Y'all heard that song, Casting Crowns, a slow fade? Because as pastor, I see the same deceptions happening sometimes over and over again in people's lives. You know, the devil has no, no new tricks. He does the same things. And one of the things I see is a young family gives their heart to Jesus, gets baptized, and, and starts coming regular. And then all of a sudden, they were really strong and exciting, but they begin to slowly fade away from the church, the pull of the world, busyness, things come up, situations. The devil will make sure that those alternatives pop their head up. They get a few good victories under their belt, and they maybe start thinking, I'm okay now. I don't need the church like I once did. Maybe the newness wears off, you know, like in a relationship. Maybe you were in love at, with your church at first, but now, now the part where you have to work things out together has entered in, you know, and uh, true love has to be exhibited, not just the in love part, but people's justifications for missing church and stuff. You know, they begin to get broader and broader and broader until now you don't see them at all anymore. And I can only say so much as a pastor. I mean, I'd rather say it up here and just make a blanket statement because if I call somebody as pastor, they think, he's getting on me, you know. That's not the case. And I, and I try not to call people unless you've missed five or six weeks in a row, you know. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not taking role here. You know, I'm not... I'm not the schoolmaster. I'm just one of us. And if I call, it's because I care. You know, but I see these things, and they break my heart. 
And so I just wanted to make you aware, be careful. I mean, there's times you, you go on a vacation. There's times that you miss. You're not feeling, you're feeling under the weather or whatever. There's justifications for missing. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying when it becomes, you know, I wanted to watch this on TV or, <laughs> yeah, I got to cut the yard or, you know, I've, you know, my wife's brother-in-law's sister's aunt's secretary at, at their, her dentistry, you know, chipped a fingernail, and we all, we're going to stay home and pray for her. It's like, see, I've just been around long enough to know that you can't make it out there on your own. Remember I said that people that say they don't have to go to church get flaky? They begin to believe every wind of doctrine that comes along. There's no grounding, no foundation, nobody to help, help them. See, there's no, minute, there's no discipling going on. See, one of the big things in the church is discipling. You bring somebody up with your wisdom and somebody's bringing you up. And so there's accountability and there's all these good, wonderful things that are helping us grow as Christians going on in the church. And things are not getting better here on the earth, people. And the Bible tells us they're not. They're not going to get better here on the earth. They're going to get worse. And if you can't stand for Christ now, there's not some magic button that you're going to push when the temptation comes that all of a sudden you're going to be Mr. or Mrs. Perfect Christian. You have to be growing in your faith. You have to be plugged in. Either you have oil in your lamps or you don't. And in that parable, Jesus tells about the ten virgins. They're all virgins, so that tells me they're Christians. But five of them had oil in their lamps, and five of them had let the oil pretty much run out on their lamps. And when the bridegroom came back, five of them didn't get to go. What does that mean, as Gary would say? Or Selah, as the Psalms would say. Pause and think on that. What does that mean? You're a Christian, but you don't get to go in the rapture? What is, it, what is that saying? You see, Jesus is coming back for a church. He's not coming back for a bunch of lone rangers. He's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. And either you're where you're supposed to be when he comes back or you're not. Either you're in the ark when the door is shut or you ain't in. I got a question for you. Why were there only 120 disciples in the upper room on the day of Pentecost? Jesus had told them, go and wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now, this is after his resurrection. The Bible tells us in one spot that he had been seen by over 500 people at once after he was raised from the dead. So he had confirmed with them that he is who he says he is. And that was just at one time. There's no telling. He was on the earth for 40 days after he resurrected from the dead before he finally ascended into heaven. Tons of people saw him. I don't know how many was there when he told them to go wait in Jerusalem. But I know 40 days after that, on the day of Pentecost, there was only 120 that got filled with the Holy Ghost. What happened to the rest of them? Did they all go? And they were there at first. They were probably all excited. They were, this is where I'm supposed to be. Life is grand. Jesus is coming back. But then things, real life set in. And over the course of time, how many was it that slowly faded away? 
Be careful. That's all I'm saying. Be careful. That's not going to be me. I have determined with the power of the Holy Ghost and prayer and, and great humility, praying that I would not fade away, that I would not let my oil all be used up, that I would not let my light go out. In 2 Kings 2, there's a story of Elijah. Everybody knows the story of Elijah. He did great things and mightily anointed of God. But now it's time for Elijah to be taken up, and he knows it. He knows God's coming back for him. That's an example of a rapture, by the way. There's two of them besides Jesus. Enoch and Elijah were both taken while they were still alive, taken up into heaven. Anyway, Elijah knows his time is near, and he's got this servant called Elisha. And Elisha knows it's his time too. And so Elisha is hanging on. He's clinging to Elijah. He won't let Elijah go. And Elijah is trying to get away from Elisha because he knows he's got to go. And so he tells him, he says, I'm fixing to go to Bethel. You stay here. But Elisha says, no, sir, no way, no way, Jose. I'm with you. Wherever you go, I go. So Elijah took him with him to Bethel. Bethel, is the name means house of God. Okay? So the, at Bethel, the other prophets that were there, the other, you know, ministry people, they all came to Elisha and said, you know, Elijah's about to go because God made no secret. Do you know God's making no secret that it's about time to go? And so they said, you know, Elijah's about to go. And Elisha says, yeah, I know. Just don't bother me with that. And then Elijah says, trying, still trying to shake Elisha, he says, he says, let's go to Jericho. He said, I'm going to Jericho. You stay here. Elisha said, no, you're not. Not without me. He's holding on to it. They go to Jericho. The prophets there said, you know, Elijah's about to go. He said, I know. Keep it to yourself. I'm concentrating here. I'm worried about I'm worried about my thing. And so finally Elijah says, well, let's go to uh, the Jordan. And I want you to stay here. I'm going to the Jordan. No, 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 I'm going with you. Following him all the way to the Jordan. And finally Elijah turns and says, Elisha, what is it that you want? Why are you clinging on to me like this? And Elisha says, I want that double portion of your anointing. And I'm not letting you out of my sight. I'm going to be where you are. I'm going to be your shadow. And Elijah says, well, I'll tell you what, if you see me when I go, you can have that double portion. And he took off his coat, and he wrapped it up, and he struck the Jordan, and the Jordan parted. And he walked over with Elisha on his heels on dry ground. And he gets over to the other side, and as soon as he does, here comes a chariot of fire out of heaven. <laughs> And separates the two. And then a whirlwind takes Elijah up into heaven. And Elisha's just sitting there and says, I, did I just see what I saw? I saw it, though. And then he looks down on the ground, and there's that mantle, that coat that Elijah was wearing. And he picks it up, and he puts it on, and he walks back to the Jordan. He takes it off, and he strikes the water, and it parts again, proving that now he has the anointing, the double portion of the anointing that, that Elijah had. And that's the way I want to be. I'm not letting go of Jesus. I'm not letting go until he comes back from me. And Bethel means the house of God. And Jericho symbolizes your sanctification because the, do you remember the story? I'm getting confusing myself now. 
in the Old Testament, or later on from this, Joshua leads the people that had been in the wilderness for 40 years, he leads them across the what? The Jordan. The Jordan symbolizes, because on the other side they circumcised every male. That symbolizes a cutting off of the things of the past. And then the first town they came to was what? Jericho. And they shouted them walls down. They were celebrating because they had cut off the world. They, and, they, and everything in Jericho, God says, belonged to him. Don't take any of the plunder in Jericho. You can for the rest of them, but the first one is mine. That symbolizes the tithe. And that symbolizes doing things God's way. Following around that, that wall and shouting and celebrating and doing things God's way, that's, that symbolizes our sanctification that we talked about in our class this morning. Because, see, once you come across, once you make that decision to go across into the promised land, you give your heart to Jesus, now there begins a process of sanctification following Jesus doing what he says do, whether it be tithing or walking around or whatever you're doing. And then in Jerusalem later, they would set up a temple to God. Which is, Bethel is called the house of God. And so I saw these three things in this story of Second Kings and Elijah and Elisha. And I thought, I don't know why they're, they're reversed. I hadn't studied that out yet. But I see three important things in the life of a believer. First, that you come across the Jordan. You cut off the past. And you give your heart to Jesus. Second, that you begin the process of sanctification. And thirdly, that you stay in the house of God. And I'm staying with Jesus. I'm walking so close, I want to be right up on his heels. He, I don't want to, I, you know, the five virgins that didn't have oil, they had a little oil, but they said, we need more oil. And so they went out to get it, and when they left, that's when Jesus came back. Don't let it run so low that you feel like you've got to go out and get some more. Stay with Jesus. Amen? Amen. I don't know if that made any sense. And then finally, why do we gather together? We do it for our families. That's a great reason to go to church and be in. You know, that's why I told the story about Josh, Picklocker, Fog Boy. <laughs> See, instead of using my children as an excuse not to go to church, well, my children's playing soccer this Sunday and I won't be able to attend the service. Well, first of all, I didn't let the boy play any sports that was going to interfere with his church because I, I had priorities in my life. I knew that one day he's not going to be playing soccer anymore, but he's going to need the things that the church is building in him right now. And so instead of using him as an example why I can't go, I would bring him with me. I would bring my daughter with me to the outreaches. And they would learn from the outreaches and the, the nursing homes and the, the many places that sold food and everything, all the stuff we did ministry-wise. And it was building in them character. So do it for your family. Give them a chance to know the things of God. Maybe somebody's sitting here today and you're still not convinced that you even know who this Jesus is and you're certainly not convinced that you want to give your heart to him or whatever. But I would say at least give your children an opportunity to know. Go for their sake. 
I say that because I know Jesus is going to touch your heart too while you're there. God said this of Abraham in Genesis 18, 19. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. He was the father of many nations. That's what they, God used. He cut covenant with Abraham. Why? Because he knew the simple fact that Abraham would teach his children the ways of God. He said, and they shall keep the ways of the Lord to do justice and judgment, and that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of him. All the good promises, all the promises of God. He would do all that for Abraham because Abraham was faithful to teach his children the things of the Lord. So be faithful to the church for your family that God may bring all the things he's spoken over you to pass. Proverbs 22.6 says, Direct your children onto the right path, and when they're, when they're older, they'll not depart from it. Now, we know that's not always the case. We know many children have grown up in the church and were raised very well, and then they still departed from the path. But there's a strong likelihood that they're coming back. Because once they get Jesus, they get... Those little children back there right now, they're getting taught about Jesus. They're getting taught about what love means. And we're living in a generation where our children are, are not finding love. It's, it breaks my heart to see the conditions many of our children live in, the squalor, the sin, the darkness that they're brought up in. But here, if only for a moment, if only for an hour on Sunday or on Wednesday, they're getting loved. And they're finding out that doesn't have to be like that. And in Christianity Today magazine, it said couples who attend church together are 35% less likely to get a divorce. I would have thought that the percentage would be much higher because a man and a woman come together and go to church together, they're making an effort. That is the best thing you can do for your marriage is to go to church together. If you're struggling, I didn't intend to say this, but 18, 19 years ago when I gave my heart to Jesus, it was because me and Angie were struggling. And somebody, somebody suggested that we go to this church and give it a try and to work out our marriage. And we came here. And now it's, it just gets better every day, my marriage. It's because we pray together. We read the Word of God together. We do life together. And we, and we are firmly rooted in the church. It's a way of life. It's who we're supposed to be. Say, don't neglect the meeting of ourselves together. Has Jesus ever neglected meeting with you when you needed him? Have you ever come to this church and needed a word from God and not got it? If you were sincerely seeking with your whole heart, probably not. Jesus is there for us. and He wants you to be there on the thing that's most important to him. He was there for us when there was no hope for us. When we were like sheep without a shepherd. When we were dead in our sins and trespasses. When there was not a possible way in the world that a yucky old me could ever come into the presence of a holy and an awesome God. I had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and, and thus have all we've sinned. 
All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3. There's none righteous, no, not one. We all have this sin debt to pay. And and which one of us is going to stand before God on judgment day and say, well, I was better than so-and-so down the street? No. When you come into the presence of a holy God, you're probably just going to fall to your ground and start sucking carpet. You are going to... You are not going to believe how far we are from being righteous. But the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were stuck in the midst of our junk, while we were using his name as a cuss word, we had no regard for him. We didn't want to live for him. We, we, we were calling his people bad names and spreading rumors on Facebook about his church. While we were doing all of those things, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get it together so that we could come before him and make a show. No. In fact, while he was on the cross, he looked down at the people who had just nailed his hands and feet together. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. He understands we have a sin problem. We're all born into it. And then we all quickly live up to, our, to those expectations. But while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Now, why did he die for us? What does the cross symbolize? What is that all about? What's the whole cross thing? I know he died on the cross, but... Well, I can tell you, nobody nobody took his life from him. He laid it down. He said, I have the power to lay it down, but I have the power to take it up again. And he took it up. On the third day, he raised from from the dead. But the reason he went to the cross was to pay a penalty you couldn't pay. See, he had never sinned, and he took upon himself your sin. All the sin of mankind, the sin that you've ever committed or you ever will commit, was heaped on Jesus. And now 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that God is not counting sin against man. The sin debt has been paid. The only thing that keeps you separated from a holy God now is your refusal to receive the free gift of salvation. How many could quote, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, not whoever achieveth a lot of stuff in him, but whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. All he asks of you is to repent of your sins. Say, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want a new start like Joe and Megan. I want a fresh new outlook. I want, I want to find out why I'm here. You know, because before I gave my heart to Jesus, I didn't know. Things were starting to not make sense to me anymore. I didn't know. What, what, what's the point? If I do all this and I gain the whole world, but, look, but then I just, I die and go into the ground and eat by the worms. What's the point? And so that's why you have all these people acting crazy out there in the world today. They don't see that they were created by a loving God who has a purpose and a destiny for their life that wants to take you to places that you never imagined. Do things, I never imagined that I'd be doing any of this. And, and you may say, well, well, I don't see where you're doing this. To me, it's a big deal. To me, it's wonderful. And God knows what's wonderful to you. He, will, he knows the desires of your heart, and he will give them to you. But you have to come to Christ. 
you have to you have to be buried you have to bury that old man you have to decide i'm going under i'm on, i'm going to trust in the resurrection power of jesus and i'm going to come up new i'm going across the jordan and i'm going to begin that process of sanctification I'm going to let him teach me. And I was telling the people back there when we had the new membership class this morning. In the church, we're called a hospital of hope because you have people coming from all backgrounds. Nobody has arrived, and there's no such thing as a cookie-crutter Christian. Crookie. There's no such thing as a crookie-crutter Christian. There's a lot of cruddy Christians, but there's no crookie-crutters. Right? We're all at some level, and we're all learning, and God's dealing with each one of us individually. That's why we're not all called to be the Holy Ghost inspectors and go ahead and, and you know, point out everybody else's flaws. We're in a hospital here. You expect to see people in different stages of recovery, right? But we're a hospital of hope, and we know the one who's the great I am. He's the great physician, and he's working on us. He's, he's say working it out. This is where he, this is the working it out station. This is where we come to get filled up, so that we can go and 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 uh, reach out with God's love and restore others who have lost their way. This is where we can come. Look at that last line, and be a fire igniting the passionate pursuit of true purpose in people's life. Some of you have lost your purpose. You've lost your way. You don't know why you're here. And God is saying to us, let's help people find that th there is something that you're passionate about. There's something that you can do. You have purpose. Not just floating around like a ship lost at sea, whichever. Oh, this looks good today. Oh, let's go find Pokemans tomorrow. <laughs> Does anybody have a purpose in this whole thing? Are you going to be just like the people out there? Just Come on. You know you were created with destiny. You know that you're going to be somewhere for all eternity. You know that there's something in your soul that tells you you're everlasting. The question is, do you want to spend everlasting in smoking or non-smoking? Now, what more God could do to show you where he wants you to be? I don't know what more he could do than to, to be hung on a cross to display his love for you, to bury your sins. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, that all should give their heart to Jesus and find themselves in him and his plan and be a part of his church. That's God's plan. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way. You're not going to be good enough. Buddha, he's dead and in the ground. So is Muhammad. All the rest of them are dead. But our Lord is a risen Savior, and he sits at the right hand of God Almighty, ever living to make intercession for you. He's praying for you right now. He has sent his Holy Spirit into this earth to draw you right now, and maybe your heart, you're feeling it. What if? Maybe you're saying, what if? Could it be?
for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.